When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney, Paul Sarker. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani. Paul, the premiership kicked off yesterday, so I'm I'm excited for that. I am a newer fan jumping on the Arsenal bandwagon. Ever since that Amazon documentary, right? Yeah, and it's also because a few of my best friends are Arsenal fans. My brother-in-law is Arsenal fan. My sister now is too. So I was like, I've got to just pick a side here and uh, let's jump on the Arsenal Arsenal train. I didn't have the heart to tell Jess that NFL is like starting because I know it's like the worst five months <laughs> of every year. For yeah, her. I thought about you so, actually because um, my, my friends were watching. It was like yesterday they were watching and I was like, oh, Paul's going to be pretty busy these weekends. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm trying to break that dependency on it. I mean, but the Eagles were so good last year that it may be one of those things where it's like I can't look away despite my desire. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's starting. It's starting. I don't know if I'll do fantasy this year, which is the same thing I said last year, and then you get dragged into one, and then you're obsessed again. But anyway, let's, uh, let's kick it off with a quick update on the WGA strike. Yeah. I think this is filed in the category of it's an important thing, but I don't know if this is really news or not. So for those who don't know, the WGA has been on strike for over 100 days. It crossed the 100-day mark in the first full week of August. So it was like August 8th or so. WGA on August 4th reached out to the AMPTP, which is the organization that represents all the major studios, they represent, I guess, 350 producers of film and TV. And they said, hey, we'd like to set up a meeting and get back to the negotiating table. The strike started early May, and the two sides are really far apart on a host of issues like residuals, AI, how large the writer's room has to be, how many weeks the minimum has to be for a streaming show, and various other things, minimum compensation across the board. And the WJ hasn't really moved that much, but they're saying, you know, it's been over three months and maybe the AMPTP is ready to make some concessions. So they reached out and they said, oh, you know, FYI, not only do we want everything we wanted back in May, but we also want to be made whole for the time that we weren't working over the past three months. And so that was what they sort of asked for on August 4th. And then the AMPTP apparently was willing to have a discussion Friday, the 11th, this was all supposed to be blacked out, but somehow the trades got a hold of it. The WGA says that the studios leaked it to the trades, but yeah. it doesn't sound like there's been a meaningful movement on either side. According to the WGA, they released a statement 
to all their members, basically recapping the conversation with the APTP. And they said, hey, well, we want to use what the DGA agreed to for any of the open issues that are applicable. So things like residuals and minimums, and they maybe are willing to have periodic conversations about AI and other things, but they weren't willing to agree to any concessions or caps or limits on the use of AI. The WGA is basically like, okay, well, we don't think that you're ready to make meaningful progress, but we hope that you can negotiate in good faith. Yeah, I I read in the Hollywood Reporter, WGA briefing to members on August 4th said, studios were only prepared to offer the DGA deal for pattern issues and willingness to engage on AI, but not many rooms or streaming residuals. Part of the frustration last time was that they walked in without being willing to address those issues. But it seems like it probably is somewhat part of like a negotiation tactic just to keep milking the clock a bit, right? Like come in on unprepared to discuss one thing for who for the the side of the studios and the streamers like coming in like oh we didn't know we were going to talk about these things we were only going to talk about that so then it's like okay well let's go back and i mean uh, that's in my head that's where where i went is that just a milking of the clock well i think there's definitely a one school of thought and i don't know if i necessarily recommend it but i think there's one school of thought which is negotiate piecemeal you sort of try to like get to the finish line on issues that are least important to you without giving ground on the most important ones. If they think, and I haven't talked to anyone who's actually involved in this, but let's say hypothetically that residuals were the one thing that they didn't want to bend on. And they say, okay, well, let's let's make progress and clear out the underlying low-hanging fruit on things like minimums, or if we need to give them more in terms of pension, health, and welfare, we can do that. You know, Because residuals, that's been a huge part of how writers get paid on successful linear network shows and shows that go into syndication. But one of the whole fundamental advantages of streaming is that residuals were like pennies, right? And so freely negotiable or whatever. And so I don't think the studios and streamers want to give that up. Certainly it doesn't sound like they do. And the other thing it implicates, or it could potentially, depending on how you structure it, is if, if residuals are tied to the success of a show, then you have to start sharing data about performance. And, right. and that's the last thing it seems like the, the studios want right. to give with regard to streaming. So it doesn't sound like there's a ton of progress here, but it's good that I guess that they're willing to have discussions. Discussions could go on for a really long time, right? There's so many little details in all of this stuff. And we had talked about it before. It's like in terms of the residual payments, I mean, when you're losing billions of dollars and public shareholders are putting pressure on you, yeah, you are trying to keep every bit of money that comes into your pocket and make sure the margins are trying to get bigger. So it, it is going to be a tough one. And I'm not saying I'm on the side of the studios at all um, or the streamers. I'm just saying it's just the reality of the situation. They're, they're probably going to hold off as much as they can. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you're just straight the economic perspective, if it costs more to make every show, then they're going to make fewer shows. They have to be a little bit more careful about what they greenlight. And also, like, I think why would would you come up and say, like, yeah, we're willing to discuss AI and how that would work is because right now AI is such a gray area and it's such a, hey, we're we're kind of looking into this, we're investing this, we don't really know where this is going to go in the next five to ten years, so it's easier for them to potentially negotiate that versus something where there's actual dollars being made, is my assumption. WGA summarized their proposal and said it would be a net increase of $430 million per year 
and where the AMPTP is willing to only go up 86 million per year. So that's kind of the delta if you were to put it in dollars. Now, there's certain things that can't be translated into dollars like AI and data sharing. But if you just to get a sense of how far apart the sides are, it looks to be 350 million per year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a spread. It is. But that's also like one or two Disney Plus shows. Yeah, that's actually a good point. We'll see how long this thing takes. I mean, you were saying we've crossed 100 days. What I was reading here is that the strike has likely cost, Hollywood Reporter again, strike has likely cost the California economy billions of dollars from hotels, restaurants, construction companies, and others that Hollywood depends on. Last writer's strike dealt $2 billion blow to the state, according to a study. So, yeah, I wonder how much more, more it will be in terms of, like, the loss to the state. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. One more quick update. So at the end of last season, episode 44, we talked about there was a trial. Tory Lanez was on trial for shooting Meg Thee Stallion in the foot after pool party at Kylie Jenner's house. They got into some argument in the car and she left and he shot her, perhaps playfully or whatever. He, yeah, he was, was shooting at her I think he claimed feet. he didn't even pull the trigger. Yeah. Well, he, he claimed he didn't even pull the trigger. Yeah. He was saying he was framed. Uh, or someone else pulled pulled the trigger. Yeah. Right, and so right. anyway, he lost at trial on all three counts, assault with a firearm, illegal possession of a firearm, and negligent discharge. And last week, he was sentenced to 10 years in, in prison. And so that's just the update. He got 10 years. And apparently at the end of that, he could be deported to Canada because he's a Canadian citizen. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize so. he was Canadian. He said in the statement he still cares for her dearly. I mean, this is after apparently he'd run like a social media campaign to like humiliate her and say that she was a liar. I think he even released an album dissing her or at least a song on an album. He released an album that discussed that he was innocent. And then I was reading an article. I, I didn't realize, I never listened to the line, but Drake and 21 Savage had a song called Circle Loco where he implied that Megan, you know, either was making it up or he made a joke of it. The line was like, this, you know, expletive, get shot, but she's still a stallion. She doesn't get the joke, but she's still smiling. Obviously, it doesn't sound like, a, you know, like a rhyme when I do it, but when Drake does it, it, it sounds, you know, decent. So that was a line in there. Tory Lanez launched a social media campaign. I was saying to humiliate her. And then his lawyer was saying he suffered from alcohol abuse and childhood trauma and mental health. Look, you shoot someone in the foot, there should be consequences. And Megan the Stallion said in the statement, for once, the defendant must be forced to face the full consequences of his actions and face justice. You know, it's an interesting story. Like it could be a, it could be like a TV movie because she originally said that she stepped on broken glass because she was very scared. And in the prosecution, we said that Tory Lanez offered her and her friend one million dollars to keep quiet. So it's come to an end now. And yeah, he he's going to jail for 10 years. As we mentioned in, in episode 44, it's not often that you know a woman in a male dominated industry can go like head to head against a male yes. and, and, and win in this case. It took a lot of courage and the trial was very salacious because you know her her friend who was also I guess romantically involved with Tory Lanes was the key witness. Right. And she wouldn't incriminate Tory Lanez, so it was, and and as you said, there was conflicting evidence because she made a statement to the police that she stepped in glass, and then she said, well, I don't trust police. I guess when the jury made their decision, he was found guilty on all counts, so we have closure. He asked for a retrial, it was denied. Well, that closes that loop on that, and let's take a break, and we'll get back to talk about something a bit more uplifting 
the celebration of 50 years of hip hop. Happy birthday to hip hop. It's the 50th birthday of hip hop. I don't think there's an official birthday, but a lot of accounts say that it started in the Bronx in August 11th, 1973. 1973. With DJ Cool Herc throwing back to school parties on Cedric Avenue in the Bronx. It's a brother and sister duo that gave birth to this culture of spoken word on music and DJing and block parties. And what a wild, crazy journey it's been. I was a hip hop fan growing up, high school into college. Past 15 years, I've been more of a dance music fan. Yeah, yeah. So I still appreciate hip hop. But at the end of this segment, we will do our top 10 hip hop albums each. So you'll see a little bit of my taste. And I think this is going to reflect our not only our taste, but our age. Because, you know, we grew up during a different time of hip hop than it is now. Or or as as people our age probably say, you know, mumble rappers and, and whatever you want to call it. But during our run there, there were some... There are some really great albums, and I'm excited to talk about it. it I, I spent way too much time putting this list together. But in the 50th birthday, it was on Friday night. They did a concert at Yankee Stadium. I actually I knew a guy who was going to it, and I completely missed this. It, it probably was a blast, but I was reading about it, and the concert was headlined by Run DMC, Snoop Dogg, Lil Wayne, Wiz Khalifa, Ice Cube, Nas. They had Fat Joe, Eve, Little Kim, Remy Ma, Trina, 50,000 people. On uh, Nas's set, apparently Lauren Hill surprised the crowd. Oh wow! You know, and did did some of her favorite songs uh, or or fan favorite. I songs. think I I didn't hear the concert, but there's been events going all over the all city. All over, right? Uh, last weekend and this weekend. Yeah. So there's block parties on all five boroughs. Manhattan's is I think Sunday the thirteenth. Okay. So there's Brooklyn, Staten Island, Bronx, Queens, and Manhattan. Different block parties. There was a party in Central Park. I'm pretty sure I saw and heard fireworks from this last night. Yeah. It's like taking over the city because hip hop, I feel like there's great hip hop coming from a lot of different places like New York, Chicago, LA, yeah. Atlanta, Atlanta, Virginia, wherever, Houston, London, the UK, all over the place, Nigeria. But it was born in New York. There's so many headliners from New York and it's such a part of the city and the culture. Yeah. And that's what I think gives it a special appeal to me. And the Yankee Stadium thing is just iconic. So the Yankees were on the road this weekend. It's cool because, I mean, just a quick, before we get into our top tens, it was started in 1973. In 2017, it surpassed rock as the most popular music genre. It's You can see how, how much it's integrated into culture, into, you know, business. I mean, everything has some aspects of hip hop and hip hop culture. Uh, whether it's the music itself or, you know, whatever you want, the style, uh, the fashion, whatever you want, might call it. I mean, funny enough, I grew up as like a grunge rock kid. And then in college, I thought that I was, um, you know, like a, a hip hop kid. Yeah, I, I would participate in the ciphers, you know, the we do the freestyling cipher. I was terrible at it. One day I had a few. I wasn't that bad. I'm sure you're good. I, I wasn't. And uh, or I was OK. You I had to get warmed up. I, I had moments. Yeah. But one time I had a few too many drinks and I was on the corner at UVA, which is like where the strip of the bars are. And there is a local college show called Elemental. And these guys come up to me They're like, yo, <laughs> kick a freestyle. And I just said 
something. I can't say it here because it made me sound like such an idiot. And I didn't realize it was on a show. And this show was like was on repeat in the library for a while. So people kept coming up to me and being like, that was embarrassing. And I remember it being embarrassing. And yeah, I used to rock the velour sweat. What, what do you call oh, it? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would wear velour the- jumpsuit. The velour jumpsuits. I would rock the sweats with Tim's. A little identity crisis there for a bit, but I, I loved it. It was it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a good time, and and it was a big. It was. Listen, I grew up in the suburbs. I couldn't say that I necessarily identified with the struggle, but <laughs> I think the whole point of the art form yeah. was that it could be celebrated and enjoyed by anyone. And I mean, some of the music was just you know fire. It really Dude. was. And yeah. The other thing I want to say is the whole one of the main purposes of this 50 hip hop 50 is to raise money for the Universal Hip Hop Museum, which I think cool. if it were that would be you know, fully funded and, and, and built, I think that would be a great place. Obviously, I think it makes sense to have that in New York uh, as a testament to this genre, which is so intelligent, so uplifting at times. And there's there's also, you know, I don't think it's a secret that there are some. There was a time and there are still people who think that hip hop and the lyrics can connote violence and drug use and abusive women or whatever. I think that's a part of it. It's like any type of art, right? There's going to be things that are that we appreciate and there's going to be things that maybe some people are offended by. But I think overall, it's given a voice to a community and it's really allowed people to express themselves and thrive. Yeah, I love it, man. Like you were, you were in the suburbs of Philly. I was in the the streets of Islamabad, Pakistan, uh, everyone had a subwoofer in their car and we were, you know, blasting all sorts of stuff. Randomly had friends. I who wanted a listen. sub. My parents were like, my, no, my parents didn't let me. <laughs> my parents didn't let me either. I had a friend, I had a friend who put a box in the back seat of his like Hyundai. It was basically like a taxi, um, the same cars that would use the taxi. He had a box and he would just be playing three, six mafia on repeat. And yeah, that was high school for me in Pakistan, but I'm really excited about talking about our top 10. Let's take a quick, break and then we'll get back and get into each other's lists. Should we get into our top tens? And no particular, so mine are in no particular order. Same. Should we go one then the other or should we go all at once? I think, I think we should go all at once and then we can discuss. In no particular order, I have Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style, Biggie, Ready to Die, yeah. Nas, Illmatic. Yeah. Tupac, All Eyes on Me. Yeah. This one is tricky. This is a tie. Eminem, I have Marshall Mathers LP and Slim Shady LP. I have. <laughs> then I have uh, College Dropout, yeah. Jay-Z, Reasonable Doubt, DMX, It's Dark and Hell is Hot. And then I have Clips, Lord Willen. Okay. And then um, Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. I can see you as a Wu-Tang guy. I can totally see you as a Wu-Tang guy. I was really more, that was like very early on in high school when, when we first started driving, my friends were like always playing it. That's why it's an honorable mention because I know it, it was like iconic for the movement. And it's a great album. So we have we have some overlap here. All right, so I have two, no particular order. I've got Tupac, All Eyes on Me, Dr. Dre, Chronic 2001. I also couldn't decide between Marshall Mathers LP and the Slim Shady LP, but I went with Marshall's, Marshall Mathers LP, uh, Eminem. Jay-Z, I did not choose Reasonable but uh, reasonable Doubt. I, I, did, I, I chose these based on what I listened to most. And for me, it was a tie between the Black Album and the Blueprint. Um, so 
for the sake okay, of this. Okay, that's conventional. I'll say I'll say that Can't the Black Album because I I listen to it all the time. Uh, here is my um, Lupe Fiasco, uh, Food and Liquor. Okay, which I listen to a lot, and the Cool was really great too. Those were two of my favorite albums at the time. Drake, Take Care, J Cole, Born Sinner. Biggie, Ready to Die, Snoop, Doggy Style, and then Nas, It Was Written. And my um, my honorable mentions were Outkast, Stankonia, and I couldn't decide. Like DMX, it's funny because it was like, there's Hell is Hot. But I also had there then there was X, which we listened to a lot. And here's one oh, that yeah. I was, I was, I did listen to a lot. Another honorable mention, The Game, The Documentary. I was just obsessed with that That's album. That's a great album. Great that is album. a really good album. Underrated, I think. Maybe underrated. not underrated. It's a great album. And you get a little bit of like 50 Cent in there. So it's a nice little like, okay, it's both of them in this Well, one. Get Rich or Die Trying was also a really sick album. Great. I mean, there's so many. Cent. There's so, so many. But I think it is hard to do a top 10. Yeah. Like we're in the same 90s. boat, I would say. Um, minus 90s, like, 2000. Yeah. 90s, 2000. Uh, I do like the, you know, the J. Cole, Lupe Fiasco types. Like I just enjoy listening to that. I mean, Lupe Fiasco hasn't done anything in a while. You know, another one that I thought about putting in there as a just kind of throwing a little wrench in it was uh, Childish Gambino. But I, it wasn't the album. The whole album itself wasn't my favorite, but there there were some good songs that he he's made. But I couldn't pick an album for that. Well, that's why I had initially I had Chronic 2001 on my list. But then I, I can't believe that wasn't on your list. Remove it. Well, I feel like here's. This is not a hot take. I feel like Dr. Dre is a better producer than rapper. Yeah, but the songs were incredible because every all the songs had so many people on it. They did. They did. I just, you know, I feel like fair enough, I had fair to, enough. I was debating between <laughs> Lord Willen, which is really Pharrell's like breaking out with Neptunes uh, and Clips, yeah, okay, this okay. duo from Virginia Beach. And that's just that's like right. that album hit so hard. And I don't think there was any tracks that you would skip. So I was thinking, do I put Chronic 2001 or Lord Willen? And I went with Lord Willen. But it's it's totally a matter of taste. It is. It is. It's so subjective. Um, I, and the great thing now is that now I have a list of albums that I'm probably going to listen to throughout the weekend. Like you, I spent way too much time on the top 10. And I feel like <laughs> there's probably yeah. someone could write in and say, well, what about Stanconia? What about um, uh, Talib Kweli or Tribe Called Quest? Or you know any most death or mob deep. Um, there's a whole bunch. I just did it by what did I listen to the most on repeat? Right, right. And even ready to die, I think had to be the choice. But life after death is a, I that I had, thugs, I had trouble I probably with listened that. to yeah. more than any other song. <laughs> yes, that's actually a good point. Notorious thugs. I probably had in terms of that one song over all the other songs. Yeah, that song was amazing. Dude, it, there's so much good yeah. stuff. There's so much good stuff. And then and then you could get into like the Nellies and the Jaw Rules of the world. Like all their first albums were amazing. You know, Ludacris's first album. Oh, Country album. Grammar? I, that was back when we were listening to CDs. Like I had the yeah, Country yeah, Grammar yeah, yeah, CD yeah, yeah, just yeah. like spinning nonstop. That was a fun <laughs> I mean, album. You, you, fun album. You could throw in like, you know, Will Smith's first Fresh Prince album in there. Yeah, there's just a lot of good stuff, man. There's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Well, that was fun, Paul. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm gonna be listening to I'm gonna be listening to all of this this weekend. I have something to now get excited about uh, as I walk around. Well, you the should city. do the block party. Uh, I should, yeah, I should go to the block party. Make sure I'm well versed on my hip hop before I go, because you know I might get sli- like if I'm going up there, I'm like, yeah, Nick Cannon's first album that is in my <laughs> top ten. 
<laughs> or yeah, I think the top 10 that you read on this show, I don't think you're going to get a lot of there's legitimate cases to be made for all of them. So I think, you know, that shows that you're a fan of the genre. Well, anyone he, he, could disagree and probably have reasonable replacements. Who of your top 10 have you seen in concert, if any? Oh, I saw Drake, who's in your top 10. Ah, I saw okay, Drake that, and Migos. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that was he's not in fine. my top 10. So I saw Lupe Fiasco at the 930 Club in D.C., which was amazing. And I, saw I saw Lupe. Kanye. Yeah, Lupe is great. So, Oh, um, and I saw Snoop. I saw Snoop, too, at Rock the Bells. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, uh, but Biggie died before my time. That's true. Tupac um, died before my time. We should have gone. We should have gone to the Hip Hop 50. I know. We should We should have actually gone. I regret not being in the U.S. Uh, to go see the Up and Smoke tour um, when Eminem and, and Dr. Dre and Snoop all toured together. But, uh, you know, maybe maybe, uh, maybe there's going to be another one coming up. But, um, yeah, that was fun. Just wanted to do a quick announcement that Made in America, which is supposed to be Labor Day weekend in Philly. It's been in Philly every year since 2012, except for 2020 when it was canceled due to COVID. Last week, they just announced that for due to unforeseen circumstances, they're not doing it this year, which is a big bummer for the music scene in Philly because I know that everyone looks forward to it. It's a big revenue generator for the economy. So that's a bummer. That is a bummer. And hopefully maybe next year they can bring it back. They said they will. It's supposed to be headlined by Lizzo and SZA. That would have been fun to go to. Um, I'm happy that we got to talk about hip hop today and get into our albums, celebrate 50. But that's our show for this week, folks. We'll be back next week. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Better Call Paul the podcast. Find me on Twitter at Mesh Lakani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.